audio revolution is upon us. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the pro wrestling edition and is ready to hook the leg fisherman style and deliver a northern light suplex dose of that performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell is the voice that you hear as handsome Nick Costos takes a bye this week and heads back on over to the Nordstrom and Aventura to return those Christmas gifts and have Paul tailor him up nice for the new year but we've still got one heck of a show for you today looking back at the week that was in wwe and previewing this week's other revolution as njpw's wrestle kingdom 12 takes over the tokyo dome takes over the hearts of those real pro wrestling fans around the world and my tag team partner for this journey is the judge who won't budge from russia with love the silver king adam silverstein I'm going to kick off 2018 by making sure you guys know I am not actually from Russia. <laughs> but, aside, but aside from that, hey now and Happy New Year. Oh, Silverstein Machka. No, not this time around. And Adam, we'll be talking about plenty of WWE in a minute in our main event segment to kick off the show. But I've got to be honest with you. I've got nothing but NJPW on the dome at this moment. Oh, yeah. This is my Super Bowl. This is arguably the most important part of the revolution that pro wrestling is currently going through outside the walls of WWE. And like we teased during our award show last week, Adam, I wanted to remind the listeners that, yes, we are doing an instant analysis show after Thursday's WK12 card from Japan, Omega Jericho, and all of that. There are rumors that even nasty Nick Costos is prepared to stay up all night long to watch the show and join us afterwards you know to fill that syringe and inject the pea into the air holes of all of our listeners but adam do me a favor and please tell me you are as fired up as me right now please tell me that for once and for all you can hear jimmy i can hear jimmy no no i I can hear jimmy yes i can you feeling this come on bc it's your super bowl this is my wild card round of the playoffs the divisional round you know for me this is kicking off a big wrestling season we got the Royal Rumble coming up. That's probably my conference championship round. And then WrestleMania is the Super Bowl. Let's not get it twisted. But <laughs> I'm excited. Um, you know, we're going to talk plenty of NJPW, Wrestle Kingdom 12 in this show. But BC, we always begin in this corner with the main event. This is the main event. And with Nick out, it is my pleasure to throw these topics to you, BC. Let's kick it off with Monday Night Raw. It attempted to compete for ratings with the college football playoffs, which honestly, that's a big undertaking because there were two great games on Monday night. It also wanted to start, start excuse me, the new year out hot with an ambitious show that, in my opinion, was booked great. So I'm going to start you off pretty simple here. Was it a great edition of Monday Night Raw to kick off 2018? I think it was booked to be great. Ambitiously, it was Right, what I want for Raw because I talk about that a lot. Don't you know? Okay, unless it's every four years and it's a presidential debate, I get that. I get, I get punning on those nights. Any other night, big Monday night football game, I don't care. You know, NBA playoffs, I don't care. Bring your best stuff forward, and they attempted to do that. Was it a great show in the end? I don't think it was. I thought it was very entertaining and a good to very good show, and we can kind of break down some of the bigger reasons why it was hit or miss. I think even in the high spots, even in the big moments, it was still kind of hit or miss because it was one of those where 
they booked it to get ratings. They booked it to keep you in front of the dial. And sometimes when they do that, it's not always for the the right reasons for that storyline. And I think what you saw in both the Roman Reigns-Samoa Joe match and in the Asuka-Alexa Bliss match particularly with the fact that both had very clean finishes and matches that were pay-per-view quality that I would have you know, assumed and hoped they had waited for a pay-per-view to give you that they went very long on those matches, and I'm sure the ratings probably, you know, showed that 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 it worked for them. I'm not really sure, but I will say that I'm not sure that it worked for me because right now Raw is all about setting the stage to WrestleMania 34 as it should be. This week's Raw, it's it opened the door for some questions. It may have tipped their hand at what they're not going to be doing from now until WrestleMania. I hope, though, that that's what it actually was. Meaning, I hope that they told us on Monday night that Asuka and Alexa Bliss aren't going to have a program moving forward. That Roman Reigns and Samoa Joe aren't. So we gave you these now. Rather than them giving to us now gratuitously for ratings and then continue along the story like it didn't happen. I'm going to give them that chance to work. I don't want to sound like a downer. I was entertained on Monday night. But Adam, we can't go any deeper without talking about the impact of what these two matches may have said to us. You know, before I touch on the Reigns, Joe, and Oscar Bliss thing, I just want to point out one thing. It's very difficult these days for WWE to truly put on an A-plus three-hour edition of Raw. There's just so many extenuating storyline circumstances and superstar circumstances that them really booking that I, I don't have the expectation. So for me, this was a great edition of raw. It was an a show, but that being said, going back to your other point, I do think it took away from the Royal rumble, or at least my expectations for the Royal rumble, Oscar beating Alexa bliss clean to me means she is now in kayfabe deserving of a title shot. And if that's the case, why does she need to be, the Royal Rumble winner. Yeah, that's that's really not to cut you off, but just to stay on that point for a second. That's really smart. That's kind of the biggest like did they tip their hand? Did they show us that she doesn't need to? I mean, she's still in the Rumble, but why would that matter now? Because when you pin somebody clean, you always get a title shot, which is why, Adam, I hate non-title matches because all they do is downgrade your champion. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So that tells me that Ronda Rousey now is winning the Royal Rumble or maybe Becky Lynch, and there's a face versus face thing going on with Charlotte. I think it's going to be Rousey. Then, to your other point, we have Roman Reigns, Samoa Joe. They could have ended that match in innumerable different ways, with Reigns still going over and getting a pinfall. But they had Reigns pin Joe clean in the middle of the ring. And to me, not only does that possibly take an intercontinental title match off the table for the Royal Rumble, which I was really geeked to see, now Reigns is a clean win over Joe. And if Reigns does become champion after WrestleMania and Lesnar does, you know, step away for either ever or for a short period of time, who exactly is he going to be feuding with right <laughs> off the bat? So th so while I loved both matches on the show and I geeked out over a lot of different individual things from them, and I hope we get a chance to discuss them. What's going on? Like, wh where are we going with the Rumble at this point? I, so let's start right there with, with Reigns and Joe. That was a better match than the women's one. I thought the women's one actually went on a little bit too long. I thought Reigns and Joe was like a legit pay-per-view match. Like, it, of course, it, it probably got ratings and held your attention. But you court sort of sold the, the best point of this whole thing is – Joe was the perfect main event heel that they had propped up. When he got injured late last year, the thing I kept saying is, man, when he comes back, I hope he does a long feud with Roman Reigns. I hope it's Samoa versus Samoa, and they play that card. I hope it's great. Now you're like, 
They just gave it away. A pay-per-view quality main event, and they not just gave away the match for, for clean, but by having Joe lose cleanly, now there's no need to have that feud. And maybe the reduced amount of pay-per-views in 2018 speak to that greater, because we know that Raw doesn't have an exclusive show until the end of February with Elimination Chamber. And guess what? Last year's Royal Rumble did not have an intercontinental title match. So in theory, Reigns could enter this Rumble and not have an IC title match, and maybe not even have an icy title match at the Elimination Chamber if he's part of the main event six-man match for the for the full title. So in that case, it may explain why we saw this now, why WWE looked at the schedule and said, we got heavy competition this Monday night with college playoffs. Let's go big. Let's bring it. That's fine, but why do you need to kill Joe? Why? Reigns is already where he needs to be. The Shield experiment worked. He's exactly where he needs to be. He's so believable as a main event talent. He's in main events at the last three WrestleManias. Like, why bury Joe, Adam? Why? Yeah, you're right. I've fully bought into Samoa Joe. I mean, long term in WWE. Not only is he completely over with the crowd, and you heard it Monday night. I think he continues to be great in the ring, as he always has been throughout his career. And in my opinion, he's doing the best mic work that he's ever done. To me, Samoa Joe is a legit main eventer in WWE who I want to see. And, and the Intercontinental title is fine if that's where he winds up, you know, in the interim. But eventually in the world title picture, going toe-to-toe with Roman Reigns for a multiple-month program. That's how I feel about him. And just to expand on this match a tiny bit more, I disagreed with you. And you've been saying it for a couple of weeks now that WWE fixed Roman Reigns that he's a full face and people really like him. And I haven't just by nature of the way the conversations have gone on the last couple episodes, I haven't really gotten an opportunity to respond to that. If I had that opportunity, I would have said, I disagree. I still think it's 50 50. Well, on Monday night, I didn't hear a tepid response. The Miami crowd was all over Roman reigns as a pure baby face. They popped when he won that match in a major way. You're right. It worked. They are all in for him. And I think being able to play off someone like Joe only benefits him. And that's why this whole situation that happened Monday night with him getting the clean win worries me because I don't know now what's going to happen with Roman Reigns at Rumble. And if you put him across the ring from The Miz, who's supposedly returning Monday night, I don't know that that's as big of a winning scenario for him as it would have been going against Samoa Joe. Yeah, it's like, why rush this Samoa Joe? So in the end, you had a, a mini feud that was a couple weeks long with no pay-per-view payoff, and you have Joe lose clean. You obviously could accomplish the same thing with some kind of, you know, botched smudge finish or a DQ or something. I just don't get that. It's just like whether Roman is fully back. And look, obviously I don't mean he's fully fixed because if he was fully fixed, he would be a heel and he would be getting that sort of we love you as a heel chairs. But he's a lot more fixed than he was obviously to open 2017, which means he did not need to beat Joe there. Like that just seems like short-sighted booking and matchmaking to, to get that, to but maybe look, it's like you said, like Nick says, like we all say, it's all about Roman versus Brock. And this is another step forward in that, in that process. Why did Braun Strowman have to lose clean to Roman Reigns back last spring? Right. Why did it's just to get to this point? That's the thing. He could have still beaten him and had it not been clean. He could have won that match. Via countout, because remember, only the disqualification would have taken the title off him. So he could have won via countout. Um, they could have had him win, not necessarily via interference, because that would have been a d- possible DQ situation, but through something backfiring that Joe tried, where you know he got too aggressive. Like you saw Cena lose a couple matches um, 
like against the rock as an example, because he got over aggressive and tried to do the rocks move. Maybe Joe tries to do a spear misses and then Roman takes advantage. There's outs that you can give the heel in a match like that and still put the face over clean where he doesn't look as weak. In this case, Roman Reigns beat him clean. There's no two ways about it. But before we move off this part of the main event, we need to discuss, you know, the world title picture, the the universal title picture on raw and how it went throughout the show. And I know your opinion because you wrote it in your raw recap and you explained it on Twitter. I disagree with you, but I'm going to give you the first shot here. How do you feel everything that transpired Monday night with Brock Lesnar and Kane in specifically them two, but Braun Strowman as well, because he was featured on the show. How do you feel that all transpired? Look at all of this crap in this ring. You heard that sound, right? Right. Oh, it worked. Yeah. Came right through. I mean, you heard Mean Gene coming right through and telling you exactly what I thought. And like, look, we're past the point of making fun of this. Like, it's past the point where it's funny or it makes sense or it's them trolling us. This sucks. Like, you wasted yet another Brock Lesnar appearance, which, by the way, are valuable. He's part time. This doesn't happen enough. You waste another one. And to end it like this, like, it's such crap from this sense. Like, Braun Strowman had a pretty decent backstage segment earlier with Kane where he, you know, he was like, look, I'm, you know, I'm not going to team up with you and to try to take out Brock. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a free agent. I'm a lone ranger. I, that was all great. But to not have him part, you, you don't get a lot of Brock Lesnar appearances. To not have him any screen time against Braun is a fail. And I'm sorry. I'm getting a little tired of Braun Strowman just running through jobbers, okay? Like, it's fun. It's been fun for a while. It wasn't awful this week with with Slater and Rhino just getting you know power bomb running slam I'm sorry power slam three times in a row, but it's gratuitous and it really meant nothing in the end. Just like the main event ending meant nothing in the end. Wasn't even a match. Kane gets a choke slam, which you're just groaning when you see that. And to have Brock Lesnar sit up in no cell, really tell me what did that accomplish? That's a Kane in Undertaker move. What try to explain to me anyway? that that accomplished anything. Number one, it robbed what could have been a great episode. That's why I can't call it great. That's a big reason why. And I'm tired of the people on Twitter that come at me and go, BC, are you kidding me? When are you going to realize that whatever main events Raw isn't really the biggest thing, that they're playing the ratings game, that usually the 10 o'clock, oh, that's fine for them playing the ratings game, but if I'm investing three hours, just like when I invest four hours in the Survivor Series pay-per-view, I want to go home happy. I'm not going home happy with Brock Lesnar and Kane, and I really have to ask, like, when is Vince going to wake up and say, the crowd's dead, they don't care at all, if people are groaning, you're ruining and wasting time with Brock and Braun, when do you just say, we were wrong, let's pull the plug, let's substitute Finn or somebody else or anybody else in there, and let's course correct. Do they own Kane, something in his contract? Like, what the heck? I want, like you said, you didn't fully agree with me, then then I want you to, to, to stand trial now and just, you know... Sure. I mean, really, I want to... You can't handle the truth. I mean, bring it. How could you possibly defend that end segment by any means? And don't try to be somebody on Twitter who hit us up and said 1.8 million views on YouTube. I don't, I don't want to see that. I don't care. WWE could, could really crap in a box and put it on YouTube, and they'll get at least 500,000 views. It's just where they are right now. Really, bring it. How, how are you going to defend that? No, you're not getting that from me, but cue up Nick's Hogan drop for me. Because normally, if I was watching something like this, this is what you would hear from me. I'm bored, brother. But I really wasn't bored by it, and I'm going to explain to you why. Let me put it all. The Braun Strowman match, you know, sure, they did it last week uh, with Rhino and Heath Slater. Now they did the second half this week. But him cutting that mid-match promo, that might have been his best promo in WWE to this point. 
telling Slater to get in this ring so he can catch hands. The crowd <laughs> erupted. Brian, they erupted at it, and I wish I'd asked you to get that drop because that's how good it was. So Braun on his own, thumbs up, hero for me. But right now, but we... unrelated though. That's unrelated to the real storyline though. So it's a waste, right? You continue here. Brock Lesnar in the ring. What did I say? What did we say last week on our year in review pod? I said, if Brock Lesnar is on Raw, he needs to be doing one of two things: either be in multiple segments, which he was not, or get involved in action which he did this week. That's a plus for me. Then you have Paul Heyman dropping a promo on Kane and ending the promo in Latin. All right, talking about demonic stuff, hero for me. So the negative here is the same negative it has been for weeks, which is simply Kane's involvement in this entire thing. Not fully. Not fully. No, no. no. And BC, at some point, you have to get over it. This is the lot in life (laughs) you have been given. This is the business we've chosen, and this business has Kane in the main event of Royal Rumble. Does it suck? Yes, but it is what's happening. So, with that knowledge already, you know, we already have that knowledge going into this. What I saw was Brock no-sell Kane, which is good because we think Kane is crap. He sits up, he calls back to the moment with The Undertaker when they both, you know, knocked each other out, sat up together, manically laughed. That was cool. And then he took his universal title and he wrecked him right over the top rope and out of the ring. And then BC, something else we normally like is when the locker room comes out and separates two people. No, we don't. We don't. And that wasn't, this wasn't all cool. You had a good point on Paul Heyman for sure. He was a big part of that moment. But, and I love, by the way, I did like the whole like, hey, BC, like, you know, you can't fix your childhood. You can't go back. So you got to come to terms. Kane's going to be in this main event. That's fine. I like that point. But overall, the rest of it just, look. You know what we already saw? We already saw Braun Strowman sit up against Kane and do the same thing. So you know what we've learned now, Adam? The truth. And you know what the truth is? 50-year-old Kane doesn't belong in here because both Braun and Brock have sat up, stole Kane and Undertaker's own move, and over the past two months, no sold moves from him. So it kind of shows you he does not belong. And number two... Do we like when they come out from the locker room? Normally, but this is a complete replay of Brock Lesnar versus The Undertaker from late 2015, which was a good build-up and feud, but that was the same thing. They brawled in the ring, and only this was like a half-assed version, to be really honest with you. You know, Brock getting held back, he reaches over the top. It's the same crap. It advanced zero of the storyline. Not only is it the Kane thing, which you're right, at some point I do have to come to terms with, not ready to yet. Not only is it just not fun and not exciting, But what is the story right now, really? Outside of Paul Heyman's really smart comment about, you know, I've been talking to the devil, like basically, you know, we're a lot darker than you you even can be at age 50. Outside of Kane's 20th anniversary, what is this? What is the storyline? It's nothing. It's gratuitous. It's garbage. It's not teaching us anything. We don't, what are we going to learn? We already know that Brock Lesnar is going to have the belt at Mania. So what kind of swerve is going to happen? I mean, is Brock going to lose the belt and then win it in the Rumble? Like, there's no swerve here. That would have happened already in that fatal four-way match or against Samoa Joe or in some situation. If Brock was going to drop the title, it would have happened already. But BC, like, we've been talking about this now for two months. Kane is in the main event. It sucks. It's going to end at Rumble. I mean, God forbid it doesn't end at Rumble. It's going to end. We know it. So I want to judge the segment and what happened on Raw based on, okay, you've been given crap. So with that crap, did they shine it up a little bit? And to me, they shined it up just enough where I still enjoyed it, and it didn't ruin what oh, I thought was enjoy, an enjoy though. Enjoy like shine like what enjoy though. You really enjoy like outside of the Paul Heyman part, you could really say you enjoyed it. 
fine. It was fine. Yeah, they attacked each other. It was physical. Brock got had two big shine moments. One sitting up, then one knocking Kane over the rope with the title. Again, it's not good, but it's not as bad as it could have been. It could have been really, really, really bad, and it was fine. It's almost, and you could you could argue this. It's fine. It's almost on the Jinder Mahal main event level, where where he would come out in a main event situation after the the luster wore off of seeing him in that spot. You know, it was cool for a while. Then it became like grown. Like, oh, when is this going to stop being the main event so AJ can be the main event again? I'm starting to get that feeling. It's sucking down Braun and Brock. Kane is pulling them down with him, not to the darkness of hell, just to to like it not making sense. It's at the point, Adam, where if it is a troll job. The only way that this becomes fun or interesting is if Kane wins the belt at the Rumble. Like, seriously, if McMahon is the one who somehow helps him do it, and it's like, It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! In- Damn, I cannot believe he's... Sorry, JR, there. I cut you off. And it, if that's Vince who comes out and cuts that proto, it is like, hey, guys, you hated this. And by the way, you can take your pretty Finn Balor and go back to, you know, the indies on the on the screen of the Internet because, you know, I got you. You all bought it. You all bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. You all bought it. Yeah, we all bought it. That's the only way I will buy it, Adam. That's the only way at this point. And that's awful, by the way. I'm actually asking for it to blow up because that's the only way it would make it fun because it's Groundhog Day. It sucks. I'm going to bring us over to the second part of the main event in a minute, but I want to close on this. And you can tell me if you would love this or not because I think this is the only way to truly salvage this entire thing. So you and I both agree, and I think most WWE fans at this point would agree, Vince made an awful move pulling... Finn Balor out of this match and out of this spot here to main event Royal Rumble against Brock Lesnar. Wouldn't it be cool, and we're going to talk about it very soon, but wouldn't it be cool if the reformed Balor Club interrupted this main event, cost Strowman and Kane, you know, their chance at the title, you know, uh, Lesnar goes and pins Kane or, or someone, whoever, and starts a feud with Brock Lesnar that lasts over the next couple months until we get to WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. That would be absolutely great. So you're saying they're they're then this is sort of a stiff arm troll job, sort of like a bait and switch, but in a good way to try to make you feel better about what you get as a result. Like I'm booking the damn territory here. Obviously, this is not going to happen, but I just it just kind of came to me while we were talking about it. Yeah. Like that's a way you save Balor, you save this feud. And you kind of wrap it all up together. And it's still move a problem, though. It's still troll booking. And the problem that I always say that I don't like about troll booking is you waste a lot of time. You alienate your fan base to get to the payoff. And I think, Adam, you lose part of your fan base on the way there. Because if I'm half in, half out on WWE right now and not you know, as addicted as I am or not getting paid as part of my job to do this, I may not be staying for the whole three hours You know, when I know that that's coming at the end. Before we get out of the first topic of the main event, this dragged forever, I want to hit one more thing, though, on Oscar real quick on that whole scenario. It was equal parts good and bad because I hate when a champion loses a non-title match. It just doesn't make sense to me. It just, it, you know, it degrades them. I get in this spot, she's the chicken crap heel. You put over Asuka Strong, and maybe you had to, by the way, to fans who don't watch NXT. Maybe the first introduction to her wasn't, you know, the kind of powerful statement that this was. And that's all fine and dandy right there. But did they sell it enough? Did they sell, you know, I mean, the big part of what made the match good was Bliss selling. But did they make you want to see this feud actually play out? Because I thought that, and I had hoped and wanted that this was the WrestleMania match for them. 
You know, I really had hope. That's why I don't like giving away the full 15-minute match now. It's too early. Can they still have a feud after Bliss loses this badly with the storyline being that she's afraid of her and Nia won't help her? Because I'm not sure if I'm interested in that. I think they probably could get there. Um, I will say, to me, the best part of Raw, and again, great episode of Raw, the best part to me was Alexa Bliss selling from the moment Raw started through her walk down to the ring during the match and after the match, gripping her title like, oh, my God, I'm about to lose this to this beast woman, Oscar, who just kicked my ass. I loved what Alexa Bliss did on Monday night. Um, and I also hate that they took the Oscar lock off Oscar. Apparently, Dave Meltzer saying that's because Rousey's going to use it as her finisher. I mean, what a rear naked me- choke. Basically, it's a rear naked choke. Let's be honest. A break like Rousey can't do the arm bar. Why does why are you taking a, a move away from your top? Maybe your top future female star okay, um, if that's the f- truth that's that's crap because that's her finishing move it, she was like a rare mma fighter who actually had a finishing move like it was pro wrestling like let's not forget she won her three amateur bouts and first nine pro bouts just about with first round arm bars you're going to take that away from her are you kidding me apparently uh, apparently that's the reason that oscar is no longer doing it and is now doing the arm bar whatever um to answer your question like i think they can get there with them still, and I, I think that's still a money match, but you gave away a clean finish to your biggest Raw women's feud that could potentially happen right now. Well, that's, that's what makes me wonder if this is the setup to Asuka basically squashing Bliss at Rumble to win the title, and then Asuka going into a WrestleMania feud against, oh, like, uh, Sasha Banks. Let's say Sasha uh, Banks wins the Rumble. Asuka, Sasha Banks is hot fire. No, Asuka's in the Rumble. Asuka's not fighting Bliss at the Rumble. Unless they pull her out, or unless... Yeah, I mean, maybe that's right. I mean, let's think about it. You're going to have a, two long Rumble matches. You're not going to have a lot of in-between matches, that's for sure. I don't know, but let, let's move on for a bit, because we, we dragged them that first part of the main event, and there was a lot to talk about. But let's move on to SmackDown. The plot thickened in the Shane McMahon-Daniel Bryan feud. AJ Styles fought Sami Zayn in the main event. He lost for the second straight week, mostly because of the SmackDown Live management. Shane McMahon and Kevin Owens kind of getting involved. Everyone was at ringside. The promo to start the show for me was clumsy and kind of lazy. Then the result of it all, Daniel Bryan basically booking uh, AJ Styles in a handicap title match against <laughs> Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn at the Royal Rumble, to me, was a little clumsy as well. Styles kind of like sarcastically said, hey, what if, well, this is what's going to have to happen. I'm going to have to fight these guys together. And Daniel Bryan says, that's a great idea. Let's make it for the title. I mean, you would think in kayfabe that Styles would be a lot smarter than that, BC. Where is this all headed. I fear bad places. This is the first time. Now, the only time I, I feared this wasn't going great was how they've stretched it out. So it's been a slow build. But overall, I liked it. It's big players involved. A lot of potential, obviously, involving the whole Will Daniel Bryan wrestler or not. I'll get to that in a second. This week, though, it, it, here's why it stunk, though. Here's why it was a problem. Because they switched up the intentions. And I say this, what made this feud really interesting was that Daniel Bryan was doing heelish, almost heelish maneuvers and siding with heels in the name of good intentions, in the name of standing up to Shane and saying, Shane, you know, you're getting too power hungry. You're getting too vindictive. You're getting too maniacal. So to offset that, I'm going to almost help the heels. But him booking this match makes no sense because it doesn't get Shane back. A handicap match doesn't get Shane back. Maybe in theory it allows two heels who he hates to have a chance to win the WWE Championship. So maybe partially it does. But you know who it screws? It screws AJ Styles. Just like AJ Styles the last two weeks has been screwed equally by 
uh, Daniel Bryan and, and Shane McMahon being a part of the matches and being too close for comfort and costing him. So shouldn't AJ be mad at Shane? And now it's Daniel Bryan who's doing something that doesn't have a lot of justification. So he's no longer Robin Hood. Now he's almost acting like an actual heel. And to me, it's clouding the the roles and intentions of where this is going, but not really in a great way. It almost felt like they they overthought it, they overwrote it, and that's really where I'm at in terms of being being fearful. It, it feels like that to me as well. I thought the natural progression here was going to be a triple threat match where AJ Styles is kind of, you know, he has his backs against the wall, but there's at least the opportunity for Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens to end up having to fight each other at some point during that match, maybe not with ill intentions, but with the title on the line. And then, you know, AJ can capitalize on that, retains the belt, so on and so forth. I don't know if you noticed, but at the end of the show, after Daniel Bryan made that announcement, he started doing the yes chant. And the crowd did not know at first whether to do it with him. Now, whether that's what you're saying, clouding the picture and making things confusing, by accident, maybe. It also may be doing it on purpose. And if they feel like this is the way to turn Brian heel and progress this storyline, I'm kind of interested in that. I'll tell you what I'm not interested in. Two people possibly holding the WWE title. I think that would be terrible if they dropped the belt at Royal Rumble and have these guys split it. I mean, the WWE title has undergone enough crap this year with Jinder <laughs> Mahal carrying it for however many days. The last thing it needs is co-champions. Well, co-champions is garbage, so I guess that's what it would have to be in a handicap match. If it was somehow Zayn holding the title and KO being his Jericho to Kevin Owens like a year ago, then I think there's potential for that to work, although you're kind of just basically saying, hey, Sami Zayn, act like Chris Jericho and repeat, because that's really what this is. It's a reboot, right? But the pro- like, but the core problem, and you're right, if, the, if this is to turn Brian heel, then it may make sense long-term. But again, making the decision to do this handicap match doesn't hurt Shane McMahon. It hurts AJ Styles. So is it Brian now setting up a feud against AJ as well? Because let's let's hear AJ's promo that he cut short against the management of SmackDown Live was great. It was like it was like he was the voice of reason saying like, hey, drunken parents, like, wake up. Like, let's let's put the, the pieces back together here. Maybe this is the sort of teaser that when and if Daniel Bryan does come back, it won't be against Shane McMahon. It would be against AJ Styles. And if you're going to do big business and make the Daniel Bryan comeback work, holy crap, this would be great. And to update you on the latest of the is Daniel Bryan coming back and when and where, he gave quotes to Justin Barrasso of Sports Illustrated that was published today. It was from over the weekend at a minor league hockey game in Massachusetts. Here's Bryan's quote. I assume that if I don't wrestle by WrestleMania, I probably won't be wrestling with WWE at all. That's my assumption. It's not a black and white answer. There are a lot of issues with me getting cleared by WWE. They have a very strict protocol, which is a good thing. But the timeline of all that happening was not the best for me. It's an interesting situation that will develop. End quote. Adam, here's why I think those are real quotes. This was not a WWE-sanctioned interview opportunity. Daniel Bryan was on his own, you know, representing the company elsewhere. And he's been very forthcoming. Now, we have to be fearful that we're being played, of course, that WWE and Daniel Bryan together are playing us. But I think, in my naive heart, that these quotes are real, and it kind of feels like Daniel Bryan is putting, trying to put the pressure back on WWE to, to, to make this happen. And if this is a tease to him, hey, 
if we're going to say, yes, you can wrestle AJ, so stay here, don't go to MJPW, then heck yeah, Adam, I'm back on board, and I might start to shut down the revolution on my own to see something that good, right? Because AJ Daniel Bryan is a lot greater than Shane Daniel Bryan, let's be really honest. It's also way better, and, you know, I'm sorry to some people who are MJPW fans when I say this, it's also way better than AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura. AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan is main event WrestleMania. Now, it wouldn't be, obviously. It'd probably be like the third to last match. But that is a main event. It'd be the Mark rest- main event, right? Every year there's like a Mark main event. It would be that. The Milk of Marknesia main event. We need to get some type of like Milk of Marknesia sound effect or Underjuice sound effect. We have the zipper, but that's, you know, let's reserve that for other, for other reasons. Um, but, man, like that's the match. And if they are working towards that, and they might be, look, why else would you put AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan head-to-head unless you were going to have them fight? Because they did it with Styles and McMahon a year ago, and it worked. And they built that feud and rivalry in a fantastic manner. You remember? AJ Styles put Shane's head through a limo window. Like It was incredible. It was great. If you can get that moving with Daniel Bryan, he screws him out of the title, I'm in. I'm fully bought into this angle. But as it stands right now, this match at Royal Rumble doesn't make sense. And you know what? I should have had you tee up the Hogan sound effect again because I am bored, brother. I'm bored, brother. I know. I heard you laugh. I mean, you know, like Hogan said. I heard you laugh. I heard you get off on it, brother. I mean, no, not quite. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be big business if, if it goes in the right direction. I wonder if uh, it will lead those storylines to Daniel Bryan getting fired because that's probably the best way to really have that heel turn cemented where it's not like him – it's not like him turning evil, right? It's like, it's like, well, no, you fired me. Like, the, like again, we've said it before. The best way to get make this Daniel Bryan comeback work is to play into the real life things that he has opportunities to go elsewhere. That he wants to come back and they might not want him to. Like, if he's going to come back and they've already decided it, Adam, the best thing they can do is tease us into thinking that they're not sure medically if he should come back. Now, maybe that's a gray area that they don't want to go into if he ends up having a head problem down the road and they have this documented kayfabe for you know debate debates on the air. But I think that's the best way to cement it and juice it, make it CM Punk like, make it where we don't really know what the truth is. So that, there you go, there you go. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the way you kind of encapsulated it there, that's what they need to do. Um, playing into any real life angle and, and mega powers explode. You know whether that was real life or not. We you know still kind of don't. I don't think we're totally sure whether Hogan did anything there, but um, at least making you believe it is real. Uh, with the Dolph Ziggler stuff they're doing right now, that is wrestling at its best. And there is a lot of juice in this Daniel Bryan story. It's been playing out over months right now, the current storyline. The concussion situation has obviously been playing out over year, years, year. I forget at this point, a long time. Um, And you can have fans eating out of the palm of your hand if you book this the right way leading into WrestleMania. No doubt about it. That'll wrap up a double main event that was loaded this week. Adam, we head on over to the HZ portion, Hero or Zero. Ah, there's the big there's the big dog. All right, BC, let's start out with you. We you know I prefaced it earlier a little bit. Finn Balor. Well, he joined forces with the good brothers, Gallows and Anderson, in what seemed to be a babyface Balor Bullet the Club 
reboot on Raw. You saw Too Sweet in the ring before the match. You saw it after the match. They were dominant. The Gallows got the hot tag and finished out the match. BC, hero was zero. I mean, massive, massive hero. Mark out moment. Part of what made the Raw episode good this week, and it felt like an olive branch extension from WWE. And you hope it's not one of these Vince like, all right, you want this so bad, I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to make sure it fails, and then I can tell you that it failed. If this is really the real Balor Club, and WWE has been using Balor Club in their social media posts since this, then this is this is exactly what we want. We want a WWE version of the Bullet Club. You have Gallows and Anderson who are so hilariously over and can bring it in the ring. Let's not forget that. And are just like not even remotely being used. Like like I said, the only time you see them on Raw is that little Christmas segment to, to tell you to go to WWE shop and here's what you can buy or they do two seconds of the nerd thing in the hallway. This was great, and it was really fresh and surprising to see them presented as babyfaces. And by the way, it worked. I mean, Gallo's getting a pure babyface hot tag and cleaning house and hitting the magic killer with Anderson, and then Finn coming over the top with the coup de grace. This was awesome. I don't think I've ever seen Finn that happy in the ring. Just like I don't think I've I've ever seen a great all systems go version of Finn in WWE yet. Like I think he's come close. I don't think like you know. And again, you want to be a nerd and go back on on uh, NJPW World and watch him as Prince Devitt running the Bull Club. Please go back and do that. It's amazing. It's the best version of Finn. I think he'll get to a better version than that in his career. And I feel like seeing him this happy may just open the door to get there. I hope it's real. I hope it's all that because I love it. So this is obviously a massive hero. I want to touch on the point. And we're going to keep going back to it until Balor actually gets a push. And maybe this will lead to something, you know, probably not what I said earlier, but maybe it will eventually lead to him in the main event picture. But Vince, you know, doesn't think Finn's over. That report came out, whatever. Finn Balor's not over, right? But he's so damn over that not only did he get Elias over in like five minutes when they fought earlier, you know, late in 2017, he got the Good Brothers completely over after they've barely been on TV for weeks. That reaction to the Miami crowd, and by the way, Miami crowd, I wish I was there. I had to cover the college football playoff for CBS. I would have loved to have been there. That crowd was so damn good on Monday night. Every single thing WWE asked them to, WWE asked them to pop for, they did, and they did it in a major way. Maybe it's the New Year's show. Maybe it was some of the angles, but man, they were awesome. But Finn Balor's over this Balor Club reboot is over, and I am spilling the milk of Marknesia over this massive hero for me. Wow, gross. Very, very gross way to put that out there, but I agree with you. Adam, number two, hero or zero, the U.S. title tournament is heating up on SmackDown. For anybody that hadn't been watching the last two weeks, we know that Dolph Ziggler laid down the belt and walked away from SmackDown. Well, they booked a U.S. title tournament, eight men, after he voluntarily gave up the belt, and we saw victories so far from the likes of Bobby Roode, Jinder Mahal, now Xavier Woods against Aiden English. Adam, hero or zero to what the heck is going on here with this tournament, with the excitement with it, and what it might mean for Ziggler moving forward? BC, this, man, this is a massive zero for me. So I really like the angle with Dolph Ziggler, mostly because I don't know where it's going. And anytime... You have me truly confused. You know, that, that's a win for me. But this tournament, you know, they had an opportunity here to really feature the big names on SmackDown. And as they do so often in situations like this, they just really failed to do it. You know who I'd love to see in this tournament? Rusev. 
You know who I'd love to see in this tournament? Big E. You know who I don't want to see? Aiden English and Xavier Woods. And if oh. you want and, and if you want those guys in there, and I like both of them, if you want them, then make give this another round and have Big E and Xavier Woods go head to head. Have Rusev and Aiden English go head to head. Set up situations that attract me to your product and make me interested and curious in how things are going to develop. I don't need to see Aiden English get squashed by Xavier Woods so Jinder Mahal can obviously squash Xavier Woods. Now, if Woods beats Mahal, I'm going to shut my mouth and I'm going to be really excited about all of this. But that's not going to happen. It's going to be Jinder Mahal against Bobby Roode probably in the finals after Mojo Raleigh you know, beats Ryder and then loses to Roode. And you're going to have Jinder Mahal be the new U.S. champion. Or you're going to have something set up you know, with, where Dolph Ziggler tries to make sure this doesn't happen because he never actually vacated the title, even though he did walk out and say that, you know, the title and WWE fans did not deserve him. Whatever this is, the, the tournament's not good. The angle, you know, I l- would like a little bit of clarity, but the tournament itself, that's what this question about was about zero, zero, zero. Wow. Wow. Silver King, you brought it. I'm, you know, I'm really the exact opposite. I thought this whole thing was a hero. And the reason is sort of my, my philosophy on Raw and SmackDown. I want matches to matter. I don't want them to matter too much. Like, I don't want pay-per-view quality main events being stuffed down my throat on free TV where you know it's no longer special to see guys in that pay-per-view feud. Like, I'm sick of when we see pay-per-view match on Sunday, rematch on Monday. Right? Like, I'm so sick of that. I, this is the perfect in-between. These matches matter in the, in the big picture. And what they do for me is they give middle card-ish guys, or in this case, breaking up a tag team and Xavier Woods and letting him kind of freestyle solo but still have his boys behind him to help him with the comedy, I think that's a big win because I popped massive for Aiden English and Rusev's back and forth in the ring for the interaction they had in the locker room beforehand. I think that this is sort of right in my wheelhouse. Maybe sometimes I fall too much in love with these mid-card Zack Ryder types and I'm sort of, anytime they get a sniff or a chance at an opportunity... It sort of brings out the underdog side of me as a fan, but I, I'm pretty much into this, and I'm interested to see now we'll get a Rumble match that kind of matters because it will be for the belt, and I wonder if the winner just ends up in a feud with Dolph Ziggler. And if you're WWE and you knew Ziggler was unhappy and overworked, maybe this is the perfect marriage to him where you say, all right, Dolph, we're going to let you win the belt. Then you're going to take a whole month off and not even be on TV, go recharge your batteries, go do you know other projects, do what you have to do, and then when you come back, you'll have a feud waiting for you. And maybe it'll be against Jinder Mahal, and maybe it'll feel bigger than it would have originally. I'm, I couldn't be all, more all for this right now. The only thing that's weird about that is they're both heels, and, and even though Jinder, you know, you would think is going to win this, and deservedly so. Like again, they built him by give, putting him in the main event. They built him into a really good mid carder, which is really not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> but I, I wish this ended, and I want to call back to Razor Ramon Shawn Michaels feud. I wish this ended, or, or the way this angle transpired was Dolph took the title and said, you guys don't deserve me, you don't deserve to have the title on the show, left, they crowned a new champion, and then you wind up in a ladder match with both titles on the line to determine the new champion. If they went that way, old HBK Razor style, I'm in. I don't know how Dolph has any claim to still be champion when he literally put the, put the belt in the middle of the ring and walked out. And then if he has to contend for the title again, then what was really the point of him winning it in the first place, especially if he's not going to win it back? So... It's just clunky to me. I'm curious to see where it goes. Um, but, you know, I, I respect your opinion on it. I just I wish the tournament had bigger names and was more exciting to me because we've discussed it on the show before, man. Big E, like, he could be in the main event picture in WWE. Oh, yeah. Number three here, BC. Woken Matt Hardy delivered another promo 
on Bray Wyatt after Wyatt took down Apollo Crews. You know, I'm just going to make it simple. Here are a zero on what you thought of this broken Matt Hardy character so far in WWE. I'm sad. It's a zero to me. Uh, it is. And now that we're seeing it, the branches, you know, grow a little bit. We're seeing a little bit more stretched out. I mean, you know, look, look, Matt Hardy running to, to, to beat down Bray last week. That's fine. But this delivering the promo, it's a zero to me. And here's the problem. I feel like Matt Hardy is an actor pl- trying to play Vince McMahon's version of his own character. So it's like credit WWE and Vince for like, a, a, you know, wanting to put this gimmick out there and basically saying, okay, we know that Matt did the best work of his career somewhere else in a character he created himself, but this is still not TNA Matt Hardy. It's not. Listen to it closely. Anybody who loved watching him in Impact in 2016, the accent is just off. The delivery, the verbiage is just off. Like, this is really Matt Hardy trying to play Vince's version, and it's really frustrating because it makes you believe in the end, it's going to be a WEWEified failure. And I got to point to this one tweet, Adam, that I got, which is almost like a bonus DM slide here. It's a tweet at me from Thomas Jordan Sutton at TJ Sutton 04. This really, look, Thomas, you really got me thinking. I know you're a listener to the show. You follow me on Twitter. You said, When has anybody ever recreated somebody else's good idea well? Adam, I started to think about that because it's my fear, of course, with. The Balor Club, because this is really what this tweet was in response to. It's now my fear with Broken Woken Mad Hardy. And I got to be really honest, the NWO reboot, the ECW reboot, all this stuff. It really, when in wrestling has someone taken another company's idea and let it be exactly like it was and it played up to that same level? I don't, I'm not sure I have an example and that worries me. So, so to answer that slide, the answer is never. Um, and it's usually for myriad reasons. But, and it has to do with who's, you know, different writers, different production companies. And I'm not saying WWE production is too polished um, or maybe someone else's is too unpolished. Like, and you take a WWE gimmick and you fire the guy and he goes down to independence, let's say Jack Swagger or like someone like that. But all those factors just simply change, you know, any individual gimmick or angle. Because most of the time, especially when it comes from a WWE or an ECW or a WCW, someone else the person that made that gimmick popular is not writing it anymore. Now, in Matt Hardy's case, I'm going to disagree with you here, and I'm going to give him a hero for a couple reasons. It To a WWE audience that has not experienced broken Matt Hardy and Brother Nero on TNA, this is still fresh, and it's still new. And I'll tell you what. The last two promos he's done, I've enjoyed. The first one with the goldfish playing chess, that was way closer to the old Broken Matt character than anything we've seen yet. I liked that a lot. This week, with the, uh, you know, how that ended with the multiple got smaller and smaller, that's a WWE production kind of thing. But you know what? It was different, and the crowd reacted to it, and it gave it a little bit of texture. The biggest problem, and we've said it before on the show, they are kind of styling the Woken Matt Hardy after the way they frame Bray Wyatt with the stupid intro and outro graphic with the glass shattering. Why is that necessary? It's not. It's it, it's terrible. It's just terrible. Um, so I think if they gave Matt a little bit more control and they took him out of this like plain baby blue background room and let him get a little grungier and integrated his home and the compound and some of that stuff, 
he could be delivering the same messages, the same words, with a little bit of a, of a different atmosphere. Exactly. And I think you feel a lot differently about it. Exactly right there. And you know what this like? My favorite food of all time is lasagna. My mom, growing up, made a great lasagna. You know what happened in fourth grade? We went on a serious health kick, and she started to say, all right, you can still have lasagna, but I'm going to put vegetables in it instead of beef. Terrible. Terrible. It's don't don't give me something I love and mix something I hate in there. And I feel like that's where this is headed because I'm that's a great example. Don't put vegetables in it. All right. But right now I'm cutting down on red meat. I put ground turkey instead of ground beef in my lasagna and it's still pretty damn good. It's not as good, but it's still it pretty is, damn good. Okay, so that's make, a fine substitution. So you're saying this is ground turkey to you so far. No, 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 no I'm saying make it ground turkey right all now. Right, right. It, it's probably lasagna without any meat. Get some ground turkey in there. Spice it up just a little bit. I think it could work. Because, by the way, Matt Hardy had that little chuckle in TNA, and it was part of the broken character, and it was great. But WWE's making his whole character now about the laugh, and they're stretching it out to a minute. And now we're seeing multiple screens, and it's like Bobby Roode. You can't have Bobby Roode on the screen now without him saying the word glorious and pandering to his gimmick. Stop the madness. Let people be cool. Let them be who they are. Here we go. Number three on hero. Number four on hero or zero. Adam Goldust. Whoa. I did not see this coming on raw this week was involved in a tag team match with Cedric Alexander against Arya Davari and Drew Gulak. It was really the WWE's first time mixing main roster talent with cruiserweights in a real match. Hero Zero to you on seeing the gold one himself with like a moonsault off the top rope on top of two little guys. Yeah, um, I'm going to go back to the Hideo Itami and Finn Balor. All of that was in a regular roster match, not a cruiserweight match. Um, but this is a hero, man. Like, Goldust is awesome. And I know Nick gave me some crap for liking Goldust last week. I think that was ill-sided uh, on his part. Like, dude, Goldust is awesome. He's a legend. And you may not love his gimmick, which I never really did any incarnation of it. But the fact that he's still playing it out in 2017, like where Kane is awful, Goldust still kind of plays a little bit. And I'm down for it. He did a cruiserweight move. He got athletic. <laughs> the, dude is not, the dude is not young. He's not thin. He's not 205 pounds. My only zero on the entire thing was that they still have to keep using this the, the purple, you know, ring apron graphic, and, and they're still bannering it under. It's a cruiserweight match. How about you just let three guys that are under two hundred and five pounds wrestle with Goldust and have it be a match? And you can mention their cruiserweights all you want, but you don't have to keep reminding me that he's in a cruiserweight match. And yeah, it, it works because of this reason. Come on, like get over the cruiserweight stuff. Let these guys continue wrestling. Things are better right now. Cedric Alexander's awesome, BC. I hope he wins this damn title. Hero for Goldust. Well, this only happened because Enzo in real life has the flu and was in the hospital. If you follow his social media account, I'm not sure if it's a hero or zero. Like, I can't give you a real answer because it makes a mockery of the division, to be really honest with you. Like, seeing Goldust clothesline these smaller guys, and he has no connection to Cedric Alexander. So he's going to come out and say, Do you want to be my friend? And they shook hands like that was as weak as possible. But did I love him coming off the top rope? Did it make a cruiserweight segment, which would have been boring because of the way they book it fun? Yes. So it's like I can't figure out if I love it or hate it. So it's kind of incomplete to me. Do we have the Cedric Alexander theme audio dropper now? Uh, yeah, of- somewhere well, on this board we do. And if you if you tell if you give me one more second, I can probably find it for you. Why don't you? Uh, by the way, did you see his lower lumbar uh, move, which is great? Get used by Woods on SmackDown, and it was like every announcer was biting their lips, saying, "Hey, that that finishing move is already out there right now." I saw that. Um, I like Woods, and, and I I want to go back while because I really want to hear the sound effect. So that's why I'm going to stretch this out for you. Um, oh yeah. Time is passing, now I grow used to- 
BC, you love him, man, and I am fully bought in on Cedric Alexander. I did notice the thing you're talking about with Woods. Um, but look, Lombard check, great finisher. Cedric Alexander, great wrestler. They're giving him mic time. I think a title change is coming, and I'm I don't want to say this, man. I'm kind of excited to see what happens with the cruiserweights. Like if, if you put if you put the title on Cedric Alexander, you have a day with Tommy. Now you're talking about a legitimate cruiserweight feud here. I'm still not going to be watching 205 Live, but you know what? Maybe I won't fast forward through the segments. Well, just let them work. They're great workers. Let them work. Then the cruiserweights will be over. Bottom line. End of story. All right. All right. Let's wrap up Hero Zero with number five here, BC. Kurt Angle announced Monday night on Raw that the Women's Royal Rumble will indeed be featuring 30 women. They will have to go over the top rope. So it's a, it's a you know, exact replica now of the men's match. For me, I'm going to give you a quick one. That's a hero. But Talk to me about how you think this Women's Royal Rumble is developing. Uh, I have a follow-up question for you as well, but let's start there. Hero Zero. So just real quick, hero to the equality, no question. And by the way, I am pretty excited to see what kind of legends and kind of callbacks that we get, whether Steph will be in it, all of that. Hero to that. Absolute zero the way they've built this this Women's Royal Rumble. It's not just the announcement, which we crapped on, but I mean, if you watch SmackDown this week with the Riot Squad and the welcoming committee again reformed, how could you not just like fast forward or be like, you know, I'm bored, brother, and all that stuff. This has been a giant fail. There is no actual angle or storyline since they haven't shown us Rousey yet or teased her, right? We think she's coming. We're not really sure. Since they haven't wet our appetite with that, they've given us the equivalent of Team PCB and Team Sexy Sorority or whatever they called it and Team beautiful and dangerous and whatever that original launch was only it's worse and it's tired and it's played out and the welcoming committee is back and it goes back to the first thing we said when they launched the bootleg version of this on smackdown live the riot squad is not ready for prime time it's not just a bootleg version of absolution they're not believable against main event talent in a bully role you saw that this week when becky lynch returned i thought it was a waste of that opportunity to bring her back I only popped because I was like, yeah, beat up the Riot Squad. Get them off my screen because they're not on your level. Why in the heck would we care? And why did I just watch the Riot Squad beat up the welcoming committee only to have some faces come in and beat that? Like, what, is this, what does this mean for the Rumble? Nothing. They cannot handle more than one women's uh, storyline at a time. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. And the one that they have, there's nothing to build the juice. You have Paige back. Her initial return was great, but there's no story there, right? Like, what's the actual story? Nothing, Morning Glory, Oasis, nothing, 94. You got nothing. It's terrible. And BC, I'll tell you right now, man, I got eight words for this. Look at all of this crap in this ring. I think that's eight words. Look, you kind of laid it out, so I'm not going to repeat it too much. I cannot believe that WWE actually spent time on SmackDown for Natalia to confirm and use the words that the welcoming committee is back together. The fact that they actually did that. I and mean, then, if that's jobbed not out. then they jobbed out after that. Come on. If that's not troll booking, I don't know what is. The only thing worse than the welcoming committee is the riot squad. I am almost positive. We said last week or two weeks ago on this podcast. Can you imagine if they put the, brought the welcoming committee back and they brought it effing back? Like, dude, I'm as, as, like, I know you're not into Absolution so much on Raw, and you don't think it was great with Paige's return. I'm fine. Everything they're doing on Raw with the women's division, Asuka and um, Alexa Bliss, you know, what happened. Like, sure, it wasn't ideal for us and, and kind of what we hope happens, but it's fine. They're good wrestlers. The angles are pretty decent. You know how I feel about Mandy Rose. I'm totally down, you know, for everything they're doing with um, 
Sonya Deville. Like, it's fine. It's good. SmackDown is terrible. And it's the booking, top to bottom. And it's more important than anything else, the women's division. They have Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch on that show. And they are bit parts in it. Charlotte Flair is acting like the maestro of, or maestress. Is that, is there a female version of that? I don't know. The maestress of the entire women's division that, and and I know she's supposed to be a queen, but everything is from her and she transpires and she dictates how things go, but there's no aggression anymore. She's completely lost her edge. Becky Lynch comes back and the crowd popped massive for her and they put her over in a big spot, but she's just one of three women in this newly formed faction. It's such a zero. The women's Royal rumble will be a hero. Right now, the build is an absolute zero. I'm sick of it. It's almost disgusting to me, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah there's you. There it is. Let's bury it. Let's bury that grave. That is HZ hero or zero. Not so much the lightning round edition, but we put it in the books. Adam, this week Thursday morning. Not a lot of turnaround time here, but we wanted to get our predictions, our information, our thoughts, our hopes. For Wrestle Kingdom 12, early Thursday morning on the East Coast, let's say 2 a.m. Eastern on East Coast time in the U.S. If anyone's looking to stream it live on NJPWWorld.com, we believe, Adam, that the, let's say, the better, the the, the matches that people are more interested in are what, going to come on 4 a.m., 5 a.m.-ish? I mean, this is about a 9-10 match card. Yeah, something like that. It should be really the second. I mean, look, if you love the Young Bucks, you need to be tuned in at the very beginning. but if you really care about the double main event and then the two big time matches that precede it, um, featuring guys that you probably know and have heard of before, then I think you're looking at probably a four to five a.m. start. But BC, I mean, you know, you and I have both separately for CBSSports.com previewed this card, uh, kind of tried to tell fans what they need to know about New Japan Pro Wrestling, and and honestly, we're not experts. Like we're we're on on NJPW, that is, we're pretty good. Um, you know, we have a decent handle on it, but. Read those stories, get yourself brushed up on it. But right now, I think what we want to go over some of the big matches and kind of how we think if we're excited for them and how we think they're going to transpire. Yeah, yeah. And right off the bat, I think the first one I really, really care about. And look, I care about the Young Bucks. I even care about that gimmick old guy, fake Royal Rumble they do to start the show. I'll tune in and I'll watch that. But there's four matches that you should really care about. And number one is Cody Rhodes against Kota Ibushi. We know how amazing. I mean, you can make an outside case that Kota Ibushi right now is the best wrestler in the world, and I do mean that. This is strong style. This is Kota Ibushi. And he's fighting that reborn indie version of Cody who's doing the best work of his career. This will not be for that Ring of Honor World title as Cody dropped it during that December pay-per-view to Dalton Castle. But it's weird, Adam, because this was probably supposed to be Kenny Omega's match because of the, the, the promos and the, and the setup that we had seen between the former tag partners, Ibushi and, and Kenny, and with uh, Jericho coming in, this is a kind of a nice, like, under-the-radar gift. No title at stake, but there's a lot of potential for this to be a great match, especially with Kota's high-flying ability. But even further, I want to see what they do with the Bullet Club storyline in here. Because for anybody that's been following it, Cody joined the Bullet Club, but he's not part of the elite, right? Which is the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. And there's been a bit of a power struggle at times that came through during the G1 Climax tournament over the summer. There was at one point where it looked like you know, Kenny and Cody would actually come to blows. I wonder if Kenny will be ringside for this and whether they'll play into that. I think that's just as exciting as where this match is going to end up. Yeah, I think the long-term storyline that is obviously extremely interesting is the Cody versus Kenny Omega storyline. And I think that can play out 
in Ring of Honor and in JPW, multiple pay-per-views, etc. Um, the fact that you have Cody going against, I guess you can call him Omega's former best friend slash tag team partner, whatever, and like you said, one of the best, if not the best wrestlers in the world here, um, it's really interesting to me. I think this might be, outside of the double main event, the match I'm most looking forward to, more for storyline reasons than in-ring work. Uh, I'm going to let you give your prediction second. I'll make one really quick. I think Cody's going to win this match, and I think he's going to do it in either a dastardly way or really maybe just attacking Ibushi with anger after the match and doing something to enrage Kenny Omega. Because if this Omega-Jericho match is a one-off, which I still think it's going to be, even if Jericho fights again in NJPW, I think Omega-Jericho might be a one-time only deal. I think there's a lot of money in a year-long Cody Rhodes-Kenny Omega feud. And if he's done with Okada and Naito maybe is still with Okada or some other guys in a championship picture type of run, then I think Omega-Cody and the potential breakup or split of the Bullet Club is the storyline for 2018. You know, it, it might be. Uh, you know, In my mind, I hadn't fast-forwarded that we'd go there so soon, but maybe this card is the spinoff to that. And why that makes a lot of sense is not just that it's got a lot of sort of mega powers uh, elements to it of two teammates, you know, in a power struggle turning on each other. But if they're going to really push this North American invasion and with that, the key part of this revolution, right, is the March Long Beach, California card. The second time NJPW will producing their own card from the U.S., Cody versus Kenny. I mean, that that's, you know, that that sells itself in terms of the U.S. market that they're trying to go after. So I would totally think that that's in play in this, especially if they are not going to cash in on Okada Omega again after three times in 2017 and it taking over the wrestling world. If they're going to let that breathe for a while. Then I think that could be where we're going. I think, though, that Ibushi wins this and maybe it's Kenny at ringside that plays in a part in that. But uh, the next match that we want to hit is the. IWGP intercontinental title match between Tanahashi, who's really the you know 41-year-old veteran, the John Cena of NJPW, against this newcomer in Jay White from New Zealand, only 25 years old, been around the, the indies, the ROH, the NJPW for a little bit, but newcomer in terms of the Switchblade character that he's putting out there. I'm getting the feeling like New Japan thinks they have something for him, and for a guy who speaks English who could be a potential key to a North American invasion. He's interesting. Adam, he hasn't fully won me over in terms of his gimmick, his mic work, his in-ring work. He's okay. He's solid right now. I haven't watched his matches like a lot of the other NJPW guys and been like, oh my God, this guy's one of the top you know, 10, 15 in the world. But man, giving him Ace Tanahashi and potentially giving him the chance to, to, to win the title and go over him, knowing how injured ace has been the last year and specifically right now this feels like a big opportunity and the final promo that white gave which if anybody saw the tweet out there where he was basically like i'm gonna f you up old man that was the first time i was feel spot activated for this match yeah i, I mirrored kind of your entire thought process here i mean how much young talent is tanahashi gonna bury no i'm just kidding i'm playing off John Cena <laughs> there um but no honestly i would like to see tanahashi win and retain the title i think there's something to be said for a guy like him being able to carry a mid-card strap and, you know, I'm not deep enough into NJPW to, to kind of know how it's booking mirrors or is juxtaposed from WWE. But this is, this is a spot in WWE where you would have Cena retain the title and then drop it either at the next event or at a big show and, and give the fans, you know, a surprise. He, you win on the big stage and then you drop it at a later stage. So I think if it does mirror that thought process, I think you can have Tanahashi win 
um, and continue a couple. There's some good feuds out there that he can have. Abushi is obviously still out there. If Cody does win that match with Abushi, and if he doesn't do anything with Omega, maybe he goes for the Intercontinental title in NJPW. Um, you know, I think there's a lot more money to be had for Tanahashi being the champion. But I guess it also depends on his health, right? Yeah, I think the health is a key factor because he like shouldn't have done the G1 tournament, but he has the mindset. So a lot of these Japanese guys, to be honest, they're warriors. And this style that they do in NJPW is so taxing on the body. And he has had the mindset that, like, there's no chance I'm missing G1. I'm going to just empty the tank. If my career's shortened because of it, I've read some of his quotes and in interviews. He has no problem with that. He said, you know, like hell, you're going to keep me from this Wrestle Kingdom card. So I wonder if he will take some time off and heal. And this is their chance to find out what they have in Jay White. And anybody that hasn't seen the Switchblade character comes in in a black leather jacket and almost looks like a mixture of, like, the Terminator and Seth Rollins together. It's kind of weird. And he's got a Switchblade, and he leaves a cross necklace on people that he takes out. I don't know if it's going to work. This might be the chance, though, to really try it. So I'm going to pick White on this one. All right, so let's move on to the co-main event. And, BC, I'm going to tee you up for what is the maybe the biggest, what, biggest North American wrestling match ever in japan i know brock lesnar fought over there i know there's been some big names but man the crossover appeal of kenny omega against chris jericho it does not know any bounds i'll tell you one thing it's at least getting a ton of mainstream media attention not just from us players tribune espn i mean people are talking about omega jericho alpha versus omega bc how jacked up are you for this match? Uh, it's, it's it's through the i mean it's not even it's it's through the roof. You made a good point, by the way. A lot of people forget that Brock Lesnar had a brief NJPW run after he uh, got cut by the Minnesota Vikings, and they instantly put the title on him. And if you go back and watch those matches, man, he was a, was a beast. I mean, it, it, they're fun to watch. And he did have a match against Kurt Angle for the title that was probably bigger on paper, but nothing to grab the attention of North America like this is, or really worldwide. I'm so fired up, it's ridiculous. But I'm going to be honest with you, Adam. I'm... I expect a really great match mixing the idea of really good storytelling with, you know, a brawl and theatrical high spots from Omega. I'm not worried or almost don't have a lot of thought process into how good the match will be or why it's going to be good or what it needs to do to be good. I'm I'm completely like the guy in the corner telling you the revolution is real. I'm more about what the large impact is on Jericho and whether he feels like this match made such an impact in Japan and the wrestling world as a whole that he signs on for more. Because what we know is that he signed through January 5th, their New Year's Dash card, which is essentially their version of Raw after WrestleMania, and he's not signed on for any, you know, after that. If he feels like this moves more tickets at the Tokyo Dome than it did the past few years and that the buzz and the crowd reaction and everything is so sick and through the roof, if he hasn't already decided to come back, I wonder if it'll trigger that. And I really, that's almost more, more interested in the big picture than I am in how well this feud was put together. The, the fact that Omega was cut open, the press conference brawls, all that stuff. And that's really, I think, the more important debate and the more important, you know, spinoff on here of where is this going? You say it's a one-off. People on social media think it's a one-off. Whether or not it's a one-off kind of has to inform your prediction. And I'll say it right here, Adam. I don't think it's a one-off, and I think Chris Jericho wins the title, and I think he defends it on the Long Beach show, and I think it's going to be a wedge between him and Vince McMahon because of it, and I think he's the Han Solo of the revolution. So take that what you will with it. So I think it's either a one-off or a two-off, and the question is, if it's a two-off, right, is that second match Kenny Omega 
um, at that Long Beach show and Jericho does win the title and maybe Omega wins it back from him and you get two big moments for Kenny Omega in front of that audience in as many years. Or does Jericho lose this match and faces Naito, which they're kind of building towards as the number two match at that show and you have Kenny Omega... Okada again or, or Abushi or who too soon, but don't don't count up by the way Jericho Cody don't count that out too as a as a spinoff possibility. You absolutely have that as well. So, I the long term, my long term point with Jericho in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and sure nothing in wrestling or in life is permanent, but I don't think Jericho is going to be a mainstay of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and that doesn't just mean regular matches. It means I don't think he's going to be with the company for a year. I think there is a chance that this is a one off match. And if not, I think you're talking about a guy who wrestles two, maybe three total matches between now and March and is either ready for WrestleMania or is not a factor in either New Japan or WWE at that time and comes back maybe the Monday night after WrestleMania. So that's how I think Jericho's tenure in New Japan Pro Wrestling is going to go. Now, as far as this match is concerned, and I'm going to keep it relatively short here, I agree with you that I care probably more about the extenuating circumstances surrounding it than the match itself. But let's talk about the match itself. It's going to be brutal. It's no disqualification. They did that on purpose. I expect a lot of outside the ring action. We talk about uh, Kenny Omega's incredible moonsault over the barricade from the top rope to the outside against Okada. You're going to see stuff like that. I think tables are going to get involved. You're going to see Jericho probably bleed out. It's going to be an extremely physical extremely entertaining match and i don't look i don't really get into the star ratings determining how much my enjoyment factor of a match is as an example omega okada you want to call it a six-star match sure i agree with you 66 um, star match yeah the, the fatal four-way match at SummerSlam. you want to call that a five-star match because it wasn't as technical great i enjoyed the hell out of it equally i would say so i'm excited for this i think the new japan crowd is going to be amped up for it and you're going to see a lot of crossover stories coming out and clips on YouTube. Uh, when you wake up, if you don't watch this live, don't go on Twitter because you're going to see every single major spot from this match all over your Twitter feed. I'm jacked up for it. Ultimately, I'm going to counter you on the prediction, and I'm going to pick Omega because I do think it's either a one-off match or at least a one-off feud. I don't know how you do Alpha versus Omega, one time only, biggest match ever, twice. The Rock and yeah. Cena did it, but they did it a year apart. So I don't really see how this is more than a one-time thing. I wonder, though, what role Cody will play in this ma- in, in this match in terms of maybe helping Jericho. Will that be a spinoff thing? I don't know. But a lot of people that are listening to this are probably saying, Adam, you know, what about Kenny to WWE? And I know that there's a lot of people hoping. So let's get a quick bonus D- DM slide from Billy Uzinko at Bill underscore I underscore am four. He hit us up with warning, absurd fantasy booking alert. I will be at the Royal Rumble in Philly. Is there any possibility with the whole Jericho Omega thing that part of the deal with Jericho going over is Omega making an appearance at the Rumble a couple weeks later? Would that not be the biggest pop in wrestling history? Talk me off the ledge. Thanks, BC, Silver King, and Handsome Nick. I want to talk... Billy off the ledge and say, I don't think it's a possibility at all. And I know we've been down this road before. I just want to say, I've read recent Omega interviews. I don't think he's working. I think he's being real. I think he's being honest. He had a long interview with Sports Illustrated a few weeks back. He's an artist. He's trying to do something. I do not see under any circumstance that he's in WWE by the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania. Maybe a year from now, if this revolution is not going in the right direction, but I think it's more likely that we see NJPW in a better spot on American TV than see Kenny a month later show up in the, you know, or three weeks, four weeks later show up in the Rumble. Sorry, Billy. Sorry, anyone else listening to that. Not happening. 
Yeah, I don't think either is likely, either of those circumstances. Um, certainly not Omega in the Rumble. I mean, A, I think he's still under contract, so they would have to work something out. And since Jericho's not under WWE contract, NJPW would have no reason to do WWE a favor. Although I will say, as a one-off, Omega just popping up in the Rumble and like lasting late and then getting eliminated, kind of cool. And would it be the biggest pop in wrestling history? No. But it would be awesome. So it would, but you know, it doesn't. It business-wise, it's like it's no sense unless they're going to be working together. Unless like unless it's going to be the biggest reveal for internet marks ever that WWE and New Japan are talent sharing, which is not going to happen, right? Like so, no chance. Don't forget, WWE is willing to put in the past. They were willing to put other organizations on TV that weren't, and WCW did too, that weren't really a threat. WWE had that ECW invasion well i mean granted vince uh, you know reportedly was lending Heyman money and stuff like that but way before there was ever talks of them buying ecw nwa i forget if it was wwe i think it was wwe or wcw there was like an nwa faction for a short period of time wwe in the late 90s yeah in the late 90s after nwa and wcw split when vince isn't threatened by you he doesn't necessarily mind giving you some pub and they've mentioned japan pro wrestling i don't know if they've said New Japan specifically when talking about Styles and Balor and Shinsuke Nakamura and some of this stuff on WWE TV. So do I think it's impossible? No. Do I think it has any chance of happening? No. The, the, the bigger debate is not Kenny in the Royal Rumble, but maybe Jericho. Because if this really is a one-off, Adam, and you're Vince McMahon, wouldn't you want to capitalize on that popularity of that moment by secretly signing Jericho for the Rumble? He doesn't tell anybody. You know, He maybe fools people on social media. And then he shows up. Obviously, that would be massive. It would be huge. And I mean, honestly, if if wrestling fans were as diverse as they were in their watching, as they were back in WWE, WCW days, which they can't be because New Japan is not an accessible product. But if they were, what you do is you bring Jericho back and you have him win the Royal Rumble. And Probably win the title at WrestleMania. <laughs> now, that is the ultimate FU. No question about it. All right. Finally, is the main event, Kazuchika Okada, who is now on a record-long reign of the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, going up against Tetsuo Naito. We've talked in the past. He's kind of, if Roman Reigns was a heel type of guy in terms of how he's received, this is a, a reclamation project in a lot of ways where he wasn't that over as a babyface a few years back. Four years later, he's the perfect heel. Naito is selling more merch than anybody in Japan. This is a full circle storyline comeback for him to be in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom for the title. He won the G1 Climax to get here. This has all the makings, Adam, to be a great finish of a story, a great match. Yes, it's being overshadowed by Jericho and, and Omega, both here and in Japan, and that's understandable and justified, but this thing should be great. My question is, not if it will be a five and a half star match. I think it'll be fantastic. Who wins? Because I think Kenny Omega, as we teased earlier, his name has a lot is, you know, holds heavy credence in terms of where they're going with the big belt, where they're going next with these guys, because they've established Okada long enough as the longest reigning champion. He's you know arguably the best wrestler in the world. I don't think he necessarily needs to hold the belt, but I also think Naito may have already had his mountaintop moment by winning the G1, coming full circle and getting here. So I'm not sure Naito needs to win. So if Okada wins... Does that mean you come back around and run the program with Kenny? And the reason why that would make sense is if Kenny's being groomed to be their true star and not just around the world, but in Japan, right? Where Naito's currently the biggest star, Okada's massively over. Then doesn't Kenny have to win the heavyweight belt? Like, doesn't that have to eventually happen? 
He's come close against uh, Okada, but he couldn't get over. Then do you do that in 2018? Is that feud and rivalry a big part of your North American push? Or do you not want to hurt the fact that we've seen that a lot last year? does have to win the heavyweight belt. He does not have to beat Okada for the heavyweight belt, even though he has the last win in their three-part series. I do not think... Look, I understand what Okada means to New Japan Pro Wrestling. He is their top star. He may not be... You know, the, the biggest, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He, the tr- most trendy star right now, which I think is Naito. But he's their biggest star. And the future of that company really seems to rest in his hands. But I'm going to tell you something right now. The best feud in professional, or not feud, the best angle, the best storyline in professional wrestling today is Tetsuya Naito, his rejuvenation, his, re- his rebirth, and what is happening with him going into this match. And I think it's a massive missed opportunity if they do not have him beat Okada, end his reign, and win the IWGP championship. Because I think what you can do is you have Okada humiliated or... And you have to remember, they take things a little bit differently in Japan than we do when someone loses a strap. It's not just they lost. It's usually either a humiliation or it at least it really it hurts them and it puts them into a state of depression in some ways. I think you have Okada step aside for a short period of time, maybe give him a little bit of a break, and then you run the Naito Omega program. You eventually have Omega take the strap of Naito. Remember, most guys in NJPW don't hold the title as long as Okada did. They do not have as many title changes as WWE does, but usually they're not as long as Okada. You eventually have Omega win. Maybe you have a rematch between them. And then you have Omega in the captain's chair with the title, with Okada in pursuit. So I think that is how this all plays out. That's For smart. me, Naito should win the title. And it would be, I, I think it would be an incredible moment for New Japan if he does. It would also be firmly establishing him as a number one, two, or three star along with those other two guys. And the last thing I'm going to say before you reply, I do not think this match has been overshadowed in Japan by Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho. I think Omega and Jericho came on the scene a little bit later after G1, so it has a lot of momentum. But there's a reason this is still in the main event. This is the biggest match in New Japan for wrestling right now. Well, they kind of with it, with it being for the big belt, they kind of have to. But I, I, that's a fair point. I really like what you said because the scenario that you booked essentially, you get two monster programs. You don't just run Omega Okada back, you know, over six eight months, and then uh, Omega finally wins the belt and climbs that mountaintop. Now you can have him win the belt and get that moment early against Naito, and eventually have okay, Kenny, you won the belt, but you didn't beat me to do it and that's Okada talking in that regard and it does create a third star on the level because it's a two it's a two horse race in a sense with Okada and Omega on top to a certain degree but like we said Naito's moving a ton of merch and this could make him a star on that level and really how incredible would a Naito Omega feud be because I mean their match at the in the G1 final this year was through the roof good like almost a six star whatever like so good but Naito is really doing a poor man's Stone Cold Steve Austin type of thing, right? Like, he's a heel. So Austin was a babyface acting like a heel. He's sort of a heel getting babyface love. It's kind of a reverse thing. And then Kenny's doing this totally other thing. I mean, the so good. I, I hope they go in that direction. I really do. I don't know where Okada would necessarily go next. Maybe Ibushi. I mean, there's a lot of ways, you can, where, a lot of directions you can go there. But, man, I want to care this much, Adam, about NJPW 
like we did during August, during the G1, and like we do on the build-up to here. So it's dependent upon NJPW to get us there. And like we said, maybe that's the give us a better weekly cable product or put it on NJPW World, like you said. Give us our own American show aimed at English-speaking audience that properly puts the storylines together and the backstage stuff and the interviews and the press conferences and the being in the elites and all of that and puts it into one. That's why I said this is arguably the biggest moment in the revolution to date. This is their their center stage moment. They got Jericho. They brought in the American audience. They brought in the curiosity from people. It's not just your hardcore nerd wrestling fans. They have their moment. It's all about what happens next and what they do with it. I hope business-wise that they are tied in and they're on board because the report is 30,000 tickets being sold for the Dome, and they were only doing 24, 24, 25,000 last couple of years, so they're trending upwards. With Wrestle Kingdom in the book, Adam, let's touch our field spots on the way out. Oh, boy, did that sound awkward. Uh, SmackDown for me this week, that tag match, the title match, the Usos against Shelton Benjamin and Chad Gable. I don't know if everyone loved this, but in the end, the dusty finish and the quality of the match and the tone it kind of set as a whole, I pop massive for this match. This match was so good. Both It was almost like two matches in one. It just hooked me. It wasn't five-star, but it hooked me, and it reminded me, you know, we just talked the week before in the award show how great the Usos are and what they've done for tag team wrestling in the past year. And they talked about on the year this week how much weight they've lost, and you can really see that as the wrestling without shirts now. They're going for it. They're being the best they can be. And seeing them have that match with Benjamin and Gable reminded me, when we talked about their great feuds from last year, we didn't even talk about the American Alpha feud they did for the first few months heading into Mania where they didn't end up getting a Mania match. That title was not defended. This match and the tone it had overall, Raw had fireworks and big moments and was booked to be great. And I thought it was good, very good. SmackDown was almost thrown away, yet I actually enjoyed it more. And you could say I'm crazy for that. It just was fun, and it didn't take itself too seriously, and I didn't hate this dusty finish, and I popped big for the Aiden English backstage and all that stuff I mentioned earlier. This match, to me, was just straight entertaining, and I loved it. No, you're crazy. SmackDown sucked. This match, though, was great, and a little inside, you know, behind the scenes here. Uh, so I'm watching. BC does not always watch SmackDown live. He watches it, obviously, very soon after. He doesn't always watch it live. I watch it live, and I, they got me on the dusty finish. I sent BC... <laughs> DM on our Slack channel, and I said, "Oh my God, SmackDown sucks." When Gable and Benjamin won, not because I don't want them with the titles, just the way it transpired, I was like, "Oh my God, this is terrible." Then they did the finish, and I, I, I was like, "Never mind, forget I said anything," because I try not to spoil it for him uh, until he watches it. So SmackDown sucked. That was great. My feel spot this week, even on a show without Handsome Nick, we still don't get the opportunity in a main segment to talk about NXT. I know you guys watch NXT. I watch NXT. I love NXT. NXT last Wednesday gave Johnny Gargano a ton of shine after a tremendous number one contenders match for Andrade Cien Almas title that resulted in him going over as the new number one contender. The finish was great. The spot with Killian Dane and Lars Anderson on the table outside the ring was incredible. I mentioned it on our year-end award show. It's a feel spot moment for me, not because... I have bought into the Johnny Gargano, Johnny Wrestling underdog story that they're telling. Like, that's fine. I've known that story about him for years now. So, I don't know. That doesn't really give it to me. It's a feel spot moment because I always love when someone unexpected is made the number one contender. And he might have been the last person in that match I actually expected to win it. So, a hero for NXT booking, a hero for the match. And I'm excited for NXT TakeOver. Um, what's it going to be? Where's the Royal Rumble? Philadelphia? 
I'm excited for NXT TakeOver, even though there really doesn't seem to be many matches set for that card just yet, except for that one. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit behind on NXT. I have to catch up. There's no there's no excuse. There's no excuse. It's great stuff. I got to catch up and, and see Johnny Gargano's rise. But come on, I can't believe you hate SmackDown Live this week. It was fun. It was just wrestling. It was just great. I didn't have to overthink it. I didn't have to get upset. Outside of the welcoming committee, it was good stuff. Outside of the welcoming committee, like, you can't just toss the welcoming committee aside. The welcoming committee takes a B show to a D on its own. By and the then, way, Adam right? Silverstein tried to do the same thing with Raw. He's like, yeah, outside of Kane, I know that made you angry. It was an A-plus episode. It was great. Outside of that was one person, not six women in a going nowhere storyline. Come on. All right. Well, follow us on our social media accounts on Twitter at B Campbell, CBS at Silverstein, Adam at the Costos. You will be hearing again from the handsome one very soon. Enjoy NJPW Wrestle Kingdom 12 and Adam on the way out. I know you got two words for the people. Goodbye and good night. I'm going to make you do this entire ending again. I'm going to pull a little handsome Nick here because you again forget to give the at in this corner CBS Twitter handle. Do you not want people to follow us and listen to this show? This is Your name is on the marquee. You should want as many followers, as many DM slides, as many poll result answers, as many people to see our stories on CBSSports.com as possible. So follow us on Twitter at in this corner CBS and BC, give me that Kenny Omega sound effect again. How about this one? You can find him on uh, Instagram and Twitter and slide into those DMs, ladies. Oh, slide in. There it is. Goodbye. And good night. Bad. We out.